Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for the Tech Guy is provided by Cashfly. C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. Hi, this is Leo Laporte, and this is my Tech Guy podcast. This show originally aired on the Premier Radio Networks. I think we're up to 145 stations now in the U.S., Canada, and, of course, Satellite with XM158. Uh, this show's from Saturday, April 16th, 2011, episode 761. Enjoy. Well, hey, 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 how are you today? Leo Laporte here, the tech guy, and it's time to talk about well, tech, of course. Computers, the internet, cell phones, camcorders, MP3 players, home theater, all the stuff with the chips in it, you know. And uh, if you want to talk about it, I'd like to talk with you about it. That's why I have a phone number. Oh, yeah, we could let the phone ring and I could just gas on for three hours. It wouldn't be hard. I've been known to do so, but I won't today. Phone number is 888 827 5536. Easy to remember. 8888 Ask Leo. Same thing. 8888 Ask Leo. That's toll free from anywhere in the U.S. And I know we have listeners all over the world. And if you're listening in uh, somewhere outside the U.S., I do encourage you to call and just use Skype or uh, almost any uh, any program with the ability to call a regular phone we can do. Skype's a good choice. And it's free because you're calling a toll free number from anywhere in the U.S., which means you can sit on hold for hours, which you will because. I just don't talk very fast, I guess. So did you uh, see the um, see the story this week? Well, first of all, I got to say I was I was in um, Las Vegas all week for the National Association of Broadcasters show, which I thought, you know, well, I'm a broadcaster. I'll go to this, but nobody will be interested who's not a professional broadcaster because everything there costs hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's designed for television and radio stations for pros. And so there's not going to be, you know, this isn't a consumer electronics show. Like we cover in, cover in January. Well, I was wrong. It isn't. I mean, it is a broadcaster show, understand. But the stuff doesn't cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. What's really interesting, and I think kind of uh, revolutionary, is that you're starting to see this broadcast, professional broadcast gear, which is more expensive because it's more robust. It has to, you know, stay on no matter what happens. But you're starting to see it really drop in price dramatically. And stuff that... Five years ago, only a professional could afford, only a television station or radio station could afford, is now truthfully within the reach of a normal person who wants to do their own internet broadcasting, which is, by the way, one of the things I do. So I was, I was very interested in that. Um, a company called Black Magic, for instance, had a, a mixer, a video switcher. You know, normally these video switchers, if you go to a television studio, you'll see a lot of gear. I mean, they're big, and you'll see a lot of people. And big, you know, Grass Valley switchers and Chirons and tape machines. It's very, it's a very elaborate thing. It's about a million dollars, you know, ballpark to build a television broadcast studio. These guys, for $1,000, made a hardware switcher. It takes four HDMI inputs, which means you can use consumer camcorders with HDMI out and get high-def signals into them. So for something around five grand... You can build a high-def television studio. It does have, yes, it has the, the the chirons, the lower thirds. It has transitions. It does all the fancy things that a television 
Switcher will do for $1,000. High def. Pretty amazing. And, you know, you don't have to spend a million bucks on a set and lights. <laughs> As I'm learning. <laughs> you, can, you can do it cheap. Just go down to the hardware store, buy some lights, maybe some, uh, put, you know, you want to soften it, right? So you can put some, it's funny because you'll go and at a show like this, there are big companies uh, that are like Shamara and uh, and others that are, you know, at, you know, Kino Flow, they, they have very expensive lighting systems. I mean, tens of thousands of dollars. And then, but you can also go to the hardware store. <laughs> you can build a soft box. With, uh, with regular lights, and it works fine. In fact, you know, I'm, uh, we do a lot of video. Uh, we do about 40 hours of video a week on my internet broadcasting. I mean, it's basically an internet TV station. It's called TWIT. It stands for This Week in Tech. I know what you're thinking. It stands for This Week in Tech, really. And uh, we do it out of a... I couldn't afford a set, so what did I do? Well, I found a really cool-looking cottage with a lot of paneling and stuff, and we, you know, I hung up some red velvet drapes, and I... Put some tchotchkes behind me, and now it's a set. It's not a, it's not a great set, but the price is right. <laughs> we're, we're in the process of uh, foolish me. I thought, how hard could this be? Uh, what, what excites me, I think, is that uh, it's very democratizing. You know, in the old days, if you wanted to get on radio or TV, if you wanted to do radio or TV, you either had to have a ton of money, I mean hundreds of millions of dollars, or you had to know somebody who had that much money, or you had to convince them that you were worthy of putting on the air. And if you said anything they didn't like, well, bye-bye. And, of course, we all know many, many, many television, radio personalities who just, boom, they're gone. Because they said something the money bags didn't like. And think of countries like Egypt and Syria and, and uh, Yemen and Libya, where the government controls all that stuff, Right. You say something the government doesn't like, boom, you're gone. I spoke two years ago at a, a conference, a TEDx conference in Dubai. And what I said then, and it's even more true now, is the new media, the internet media, the internet distributed audio and video that's so easy and affordable and, and accessible for everybody is even more important to the Middle East. Boy, this was before the uh, revolution. Uh, happened in Syria and then Egypt and Tunisia. And, and I said, uh, this this is a chance for you to, to tell your story to the world. To let I, I wasn't really thinking of organizing to overthrow, but to tell your story to the world and to for the world to hear your story without being filtered by your government and other governments and or even just big-time broadcasters. And boy, when you go to a show like the NAB show and you see how affordable even super professional stuff is, of course... You don't even need that. All, all you need now is a laptop with a ca with a built-in camera and a microphone, and uh, and access to the internet and something like YouTube or UStream or Justin.tv, and you're a broadcaster for free. Just internet access and a computer is all you need. What a revolution! And how democratizing and how exciting! And we're already seeing that, aren't we? We're already seeing that change the world. So I was I had a good time at the National Association of Broadcasters, and I thank them for inviting us to uh, cover the show. And I'm really glad to see that what was at one time only the province of the very rich or the very lucky, like me. Thirty six years I've been doing this. You know, I never said anything that got anybody mad. I guess um, is now available to anybody, and you can say things that will upset 
people. You can speak truth to power and and still be on the air. That's very exciting. It becomes about the content now, not about the means of production. If you think about it, if you're a music a musician, if you're a band, you don't have to be a signed band. You can make your own music at home. My kid's doing it upstairs in his bedroom. All hours of the day and night. Turn down that noise! Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> but that's good, right? He, he doesn't need to go to a... He doesn't... You know, the used to be... I, I read the uh, great Keith Richards biography, Life. And, uh, you know, for people like Keith Richards, Bob Dylan, Led Zeppelin, Aerosmith, ACDC, Metallica, it was all about getting the record label to sign you up. Because you couldn't afford hundreds of thousands of dollars to make an LP. You couldn't afford the distribution. How would you get it in record stores or get it on radio stations? Well, now you could do all of that for nothing. Pretty exciting. Pretty exciting. 8888-ASK-LEO. So that's my, those are my uh, short, brief impressions of the uh, NAB show, the National Association of Broadcasters show in Las Vegas. There is, there are much more to talk about, including... Uh, the FBI shutting down the three big poker sites. Holy moly. If you have a money on account with full tilt poker, poker stars or absolute poker, I don't know what happens. I don't know what happens. The feds have shut them down. They've seized the bank accounts and the website addresses. It's a crime to manage or own a gambling business, but who gets... Who ultimately, you know, I'm sure the owners of that have already been taking their money out and putting it in a Swiss bank account. Who really gets screwed by this? Well, if you've been if you've been gambling there, I guess you. Eighty-eight, eighty-eight. Ask Leo. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Your calls coming up next. It's all about the money. Follow the money, baby. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Money. FBI shuts down poker sites and online gambling crackdown. You go to fulltiltpoker.com. You'll get a big FBI logo. Department of Justice logo. This domain name has been seized by the FBI pursuant to an arrest warrant in REM. I don't know what that is. It sounds like a lawyerese. Obtained by the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York and issued by the United States District Court for the Southern District of New York. Section 18 of USC, or 18 USC, Section 1955, conducting, financing, managing, supervising, directing, or owning all are part of an illegal gambling business is a federal crime. Criminal penalties of up to five years' imprisonment and up to $250,000 fine. These are all offshore, you know. And uh, you got to be very careful if you own a site like this not to come into the United States because you will get arrested. But these people are smart. They don't come in the United States. They've also kind of gotten around it by creating, for instance, PokerStars.com down, PokerStars.net up because you can't bet money on PokerStars.net. And that's the one they advertise on TV. That was their response to 
the new law, the law that was passed last year in the United States saying it's illegal to gamble, to play poker online. You could go to Las Vegas and play poker. You can go to an Indian casino and play poker. But how dare you? How dare you play poker online? Huh? Almost every town, at least in my area of California, has a poker room that you can legally play poker. But how dare you take money out of the, the pockets of the hardworking men and women who run those card rooms and play online? That does seem a little odd, doesn't it? I have a, I just have the strangest feeling that uh, Atlantic City, Las Vegas, and the Indian casinos probably had a little to do with this law. Don't you think? And I do wonder. I don't. I don't. I'm not stupid. I was in Vegas for five days. I didn't didn't bet a nickel. I'm not stupid. I know it's a it's a it's a con. But if you enjoy it and you know what you're doing. Seems to me that uh, you should be allowed to do that. It does seem a little hypocritical, doesn't it? And I really, and you know, I have to say, if you have money on account with these companies, I don't know what you do. It's a little odd. Brian in Thousand Oaks, California. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, Brian. Hi, Leo. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm doing well. Here, well, um, here's my. By the way, somebody just told me. I don't know if this is in the chat room that Steve Wynn, who runs the Vegas uh, hotels, uh, the Wynn and the Encore, his net worth went up a quarter of a billion dollars on the stock market yesterday. So, Steve, if Steve, if Steve gave a hundred million to Congress, he's still up a hundred fifty million. Good deal, Steve. That's business in America. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Brian. That's okay. So Google Voice, I love it. I use it as my office or my business cell phone. I put it on my business cards. I have it on my email signature. That way people can get my business associates get me when I'm mobile, but maybe not on the weekends or on the nights. I can turn it off and use my... I love it. I do the same thing. It's an amazing thing, voice.google.com, and it's free. Exactly. Well, it's, it's free until Sprint, who is my carrier. I was traveling last week, and I made a series of phone calls to my business associates to his mobile, and my plan includes mobile-to-mobile free calling. But I, I made those calls, and I initiated them on the Google Voice application on my BlackBerry. Ah. So I'll get my bill, and those aren't mobile-to-mobile calls. In No, of course not. No, you're using bandwidth. Well, I, but I have an unlimited data package. Did it use data, or did it use phone minutes? Yes, they're saying those are regular phone call minutes, not... Surprise, surprise, surprise. And that to the tune of $300. Whoa! For, for overage, because I have, you know, 450 anytime minutes. Right. Limited mobile to mobile, and that's where I thought I was doing. I thought I was making mobile to mobile calls. I was calling from my... I don't blame you. It's very confusing. If you look at what Google Voice does, it actually uh, calls a landline. It's using call forwarding, and that's because the carriers would not allow a program on there that used your data and not your minutes. So what? So, so it's a mobile call to Google, to mobile. That saves you money on international calls because Google then makes those international calls cost less. 
Well, can I, I mean, nobody's going to take my call at Google, but can I just make that inbound to them a mobile call? Couldn't ah, that's interesting. Mobile receiving call? Wouldn't that be cool if, you know, I guess you've got your five free or whatever. If you made the Google Voice number one of your five free. Yeah, I don't know if I have that option, but I look into it. Absolutely. There's an idea. That's intriguing, isn't it? Now, there are, I use Line 2 uh, and Skype and and uh, Fring, and uh, there are other choices, and I believe some of them will use Wi-Fi or uh, 3G minutes. Uh, I'm not sure what happens on BlackBerry. What, who's your carrier? Sprint. Sprint. Yeah, my five's T-Mobile, but whatever. Sprint has something like that, right? Where you could initiate a call via Wi-Fi. No, well, you know, I got bit by the same thing because uh, T-Mobile, ha- or one of the carriers, I have so many phones, I can't ever remember who, maybe it was AT&T, allowed, allowed you to use your Wi-Fi to make a call, but it counted as minutes. Right. <laughs> These guys, if there's any, I'll tell you, the, 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 okay, on a theme here, right? After After the gambling interests by their members of Congress, then 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 the telecoms arrive. Verizon and AT&T with their big bags of money and say, hey, by the way, we would appreciate it. <laughs> we would be very happy if you would not interfere with our business, especially that part where we take the customer's money out of their pockets. So I, you know, I think the cell phone companies get away with murder in this country. Yeah. Uh, well, and... It is their network, so uh, and because we don't have net neutrality on the network, and thank you, Google, by the way. Google did a deal with the devil, uh, Verizon, and, and wrote a, a brief suggesting to Congress that there be net neutrality. That is, this kind of thing would be illegal on land internet, but not on mobile internet. Because Ver- Verizon, Verizon wants to uh, make sure that it makes as much money as possible. It's, it, you know, this is, I think, not going to last. I think these guys uh, are holding on to a dead business model as long as they can. But I have to say, yeah, I mean, you got to look carefully at how these things are made. Google Voice is not VoIP. There is VoIP that is using your Internet access on your cell phone to make a call. Skype will do that. Make sure that these programs will use 3G. But if you look at the way Google Voice works, and I love Google Voice, and it's really got some convenient features. It's wonderful. The way Google Voice works, it makes a call to Google, a phone call using minutes. Look at line two from Talk To Me, T-O-K-T-U-M-I. I'm pretty sure that they do VoIP. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Sing out, sing out, and if you want to be free, be free, cause there's a million things to be, you know that there are, and if you want to live high, live high, and if you want to live low, live low, cause there's a million ways to go, you know that there are. This portion of the Tech Guy Show is brought to you by my internet service provider, DSL Extreme. For high-speed internet at an amazing price, call 866, the number two, GetNet, to get 
DSL Extreme. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Kyle, doing such a great job, as always. On a Saturday, he plays... I don't know where he gets the music, but he plays great music for our bumper music. Thank you, Kyle. And I think it's Gina Silvani on the phones today, right? Gina's answering the phones. 8888. Pardon me? Gina Yates. I knew it was a Gina. 8888. That's right. Gina's on vacation. She's like in Egypt now. Crazy person. 8888-ASK. Leo's the number. 888-827-5536. I, too, was confused about what Google Voice were doing until somebody set me straight. I used to call it a VoIP solution, that is, making phone calls using Internet access. And then somebody told me, no, no, it's making a phone call. And you can kind of tell when you watch it work. It makes a phone call to Google. Now, you could try to make Google one of your free caller people, whatever it's my five or whatever they call it on your carrier. But uh, the chat room says, well, you could, but they change that number regularly, so you can't. Remember, Google's just doing what the uh, carriers will let them do. And they want to keep on the good side of the carriers, apparently. So they're they're playing nice. Carriers don't like the idea of you using cheap, you know, data or Wi-Fi, free data, uh, when you could be using their expensive cell minutes. I, I Well, I don't even know if that's the case, to be honest. I think they make so much money on data plans now that that may not be the case. And And, I, and how many people use their phone minutes? Because it's mobile to mobile calling is usually free now, and you got your My Five, and I, it doesn't look like they're really trying to make money on minutes anymore. They make their money on text messages, data plans, that kind of thing. But for whatever reason, Google Voice does use cell minutes because it's making a phone call to the Google, and the Google completes the call. But there are VoIP solutions for most phones. For a long time, you couldn't get such a thing on a uh, an Apple iPhone. Apple was you know really prohibitive on that but then skype came along and uh, it made 3g calls and line i like i've been playing with line two line two is not free l-i-n-e the number two dot com well actually it is free on a cell if you're just using your cell it's free but it has some additional features the idea of these systems uh, uh, basically is that you have one number that rings all your numbers and you have a um a kind of um PBX system, so people can track you down, you get visual voicemail, um, and so the standard Line 2 product, well, I guess it isn't free, is $9 a month, and then for $15 a month, they have uh, something called Tuck to be Unlimited, that gives you an auto attendant and stuff, and a computer phone. You're seeing a lot of these digital uh, technologies now. Now this, I know when I look at my Line 2 on my, uh, on my iPhone, I have a button that says use the cell or use the uh, data. You know, use use uh, minutes or use data. So I know that I can I can choose online too. Skype will let you uh, use data, I believe. So let me just let me look let me look to make sure that that's uh, that's true. Yeah, there's a a cell button in the dialer, and there's a VoIP button. And if you use the VoIP button, then it's just using your uh, data access. Of course. That's one of the reasons AT&T and others are starting to char- charge more, put caps on there. You can't get unlimited data anymore unless you're grandfathered in. So that's probably what's going on. These services are really convenient for other reasons, though. In fact, I that's great. I must have given out my phone number. <laughs> my phone is now ringing. 
I've done it again, my friends. Somehow, but it's not, I didn't give it out on the air. You're right on the radio, but you see they have this, uh, have this video feed. I have a spy cam on in the studio, and I guess when I hold up my phone, people see my numbers somehow. Every time it starts ringing. Go away! I've tried to do a show here. I think these things are very convenient because uh, they give you additional features. For instance, Google Voice will uh, allow you, and I, this was what our caller was talking about, allow you to have different responses for different callers. So you have a contact list, and uh, you could say, this person's in the family, this person's a business associate, this is what you do with calls that have no caller ID, this is what you do with calls that have a caller ID, but I don't know them, that kind of thing. You can have different voicemail messages. Confused the heck out of my wife. She called and left a message, and... uh, she asked me later, she said, do you say I love you to all of the people who call you and leave a message? I said, no, no, just you. She said, what? I said, well, family members get a different outbound voicemail message than friends, than business associates, than strangers. They all have their own message. What? Yeah, I think that's pretty cool. That's one of the reasons, frankly, that I uh, really like Google Voice. It will also uh, transcribe the message and text it to you and email it to you. It will do, there's a lot of little things it'll do. And if you're using an Android phone, I have to look at this, but if you're using an Android phone, you can use Google Voice in lieu of... But yeah, see, it's still making an outbound call. So that's the thing that... It's a little tricksy. It's a little hard to... It's not obvious. So use Skype. If you want to do uh, VoIP, internet, using your internet data for the phone call, don't use Google Voice, I guess is the bottom line. And I, and, I, and I think Google probably doesn't make that very clear. Barry in Toluca Lake, California. Hey, Barry, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hey, Leo, how you doing, buddy? I'm great. How are you? Good, good, good. Been listening to you since uh, 1994. <laughs> wow! You know, I just did a little calculation in my head. This Sunday is the sixth anniversary of the podcast network of Twit. Uh, six years, and that's exactly how long Tech TV was on the air. Six years, nineteen ninety eight through two thousand four. So, uh, as of this Sunday, Twit will be as old as, in fact, just a little bit older than Tech TV. But what were you watching in ninety four? It must have been the radio. Was it the radio show? Listening. I was listening. Gina Smith. Yeah. Gina. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, Gina Smith, John C. Dvorak, and I did a radio show. We did, and I was doing TV shows in the early '90s too, but they weren't seen by anybody. <laughs> what can I do for you today? Well, I've been with Earthlink that entire time, and I now wow, you are a loyal customer. <laughs> One of the few, <laughs> and That's I have impressive. Yeah. So before I switch. Uh, carriers, I want to know how can I determine the, the speed that I'm going to be getting before I, I make the big jump. Well, you you, you, you kind of can, kind of can't. So you want to stay, you're on, are you on dial-up? No, no, I'm on DSL, but um, uh, it, my new business requires me to, to, to have a, a much quicker speed uploading and downloading now. Right. So there's really, for most people, only two ways to get internet. I'll, I'll, I'll be generous. I'll say three ways to get internet access. I'll, wait a minute. I'll be really generous. I'll say four ways to get internet access. There is dial-up, and everybody, almost everybody can do dial-up. 
I guess if you have a phone line, you can do dial-up. Uh, of course, it's very slow, but it's cheap and it's widely available. And uh, for some people, that's probably all they need if they're just doing occasional emails. Surfing's not great on dial-up, and you certainly wouldn't want to download music. Next step up is to use the same phone line for digital. It's called Digital Subscriber Line, or DSL. Also goes through your phone, the copper on your phone, uh, and has some limitations. It depends on how far the central office is from your house. If you're getting Earthlink DSL, you you could ask somebody like DSL Extreme, can I get a higher speed, higher level of speed? But it may be not limited by the care by the company, but in fact by the distance from the phone central office. DSL degrades very rapidly after two kilometers to the point where it's unusable after, I don't know, four or five kilometers. Uh, then the cable is the, is, an, is the third way. And, of course, that is consistent as long as you have cable in your house uh, and also dependent. And then the fifth, fourth way is satellite. Let me talk about the pros and cons of each when we come back. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Everybody, good times. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. It's a celebration. So we were talking to Barry and Toluca Lake about the different ways you can get internet from slowest to fastest. I guess the slowest is dial-up. Then depending, I mean, this is the problem. It's all depending. Depends on the copper that's coming into your house. If you've got fiber, it could be even better. Uh, depends on your distance. For, in in the case of a phone line, a copper two, you know, copper pair phone line from the phone company, your distance to the central office could be from a cable company. Of course, Verizon is putting in fiber, which is still from the phone company, but it's not copper based. That could be really, really fast. They actually artificially limit because one strand of copper could be gigabits. And then, uh, and then I forgot to mention uh, the number one ISP in the United States, Linksys. That is borrowing Wi-Fi from your neighbor. But uh, how do you know what speed you're going to get? Well, they'll quote you a speed. Usually that's when, read carefully the fudge words. It's usually up to something. Which means you don't get it, right? It means you could be as, it could be as good as. <laughs> I wish, you know, it'd be funny. I mean, what if doctors sold their services that way? We, we could get as good as, you could be as good as healthy. Maybe up to healthy. It just, uh, but that's how they do it. So how do you really know? You can't, uh, unless you ask your neighbors or you go on a, a site like um, broadbandreports.com and, and see what people are reporting. There are a lot of, uh, you know, there's speedtest.net where people record their results from their ISP, but it's going to be very specific to your neck of the woods. Like your neighbors are the ones you really care about because Somebody who's next to the central office on a DSL line is going to get much better speed than you do. So I, I think the best thing you can do, Earthlink, is, the, the secondary problem is who are you going to call? I mean, the service support guys probably don't. It's stable. Sta- stable what? For the last uh, 17 years. <laughs> and what are you getting? <laughs> 2.54 download speed. That's pretty good. 
probably you. How and are you? Are you near uh, the set? Do you know where the central office, where your phone office is? Yeah, we discovered that. I'm not far from the line, and they they have governed it up. Believe it or not, I had to complain a few times, but they governed me up to this speed. Yeah, see, that's what they do. So, uh, in fact, I've had, uh, it's funny, I've had uh, DSL Extreme argue with the phone company. Uh, when I was living in the country, the phone company said no. Uh, you know, I think it was at the time it was AT&T or SBC. And they said, no, you can't get more than one and a half megabits down and, uh, and 128 up because you're so far away. And uh, DSL Extreme said, well, we think he can do better. So can we get the next grade up? Sometimes it's nice to have an internet, internet, independent internet service provider because they will argue on your behalf with the phone company. And so they said it. You know, it, it would be nice if they just say, well, we'll give you as much as we can give you. But they don't do that. They actually said it. Well, Fios, we checked into some speed issues, and Fios would be the best available. Oh, yes. Almost always Fios is the best. Yeah. And you know, I'm Comcast, not to- is announced, Comcast has announced in some markets, Houston the first 100 megabit service for a price. But that's the point. It's you, you, you're, almost everybody, it's going to be uh, roughly a linear in, increase in price for, it, for more speed. Without going to a, a T1 connection for a home. T1's terrible. You know what? You've got better than T1, at least for the download speed. T1 is, this is funny, it's very expensive. I have a T1 line. We use it. It's $300 a month. It's one and a half megabits. But... It's both ways. It's what we call symmetric, same upload as download. And so for what we do, which is upload video streams, we need a consistent one and a half up. You pay a lot more for that. I'm going to need the same thing for my, my business required. I'm an editor, and I edit phone video. I, spe- I specialize in droid and, and flip videos, and I need the Internet to be the, the fastest pipeline that I can get for this, uh, for this to work. Yeah. So you're not looking at download speed. Stop looking at download speeds as upload. Everything is, is, is how fast is the upload. Fios has a very, very fast upload speed, I believe. Fios. Uh, yeah. Uh, in general, here's the, in general, phone-based systems are more consistent because of the nature of how they get the bandwidth to you. The way a cable company does it is, they have a, a head end. They bring bandwidth to a certain point in your neighborhood, and then it's shared among however many users in that area. So if you've got a lot of people in that neighborhood using that same bandwidth, it, it's very inconsistent. Uh, DSL, and I presume this is true of, Fi- of Fios as well, the, the, the choke point is not in your neighborhood. The choke point is back at the central office. So it tends to be more consistent. That's why you've got this rock-solid uh, Earthlink speed. But uh, uh, cable will go all over the place. Depending on the users, yeah. Depending on the number of users. And then they do some tricksy things, too. Comcast has this burst service where for the first few seconds of the download, it's 20 megabits, and then it goes... So the result, the reason that that they do that, I presume, besides the fact that it looks really good on speed test, is that uh, websites come in fast because they're just kind of bursty. But streaming video and so forth, things where they're consistent or downloads are slower. And that's what you're going to do. You're going to do a consistent upload speed. Um, if, if you really want to demand a consistent upload speed, you can go to the telco and you can get a higher quality line. We have also, from our service provider through Copper, something called EFM, which uh, because we're right next to the central office, we're getting uh, 35 megabits both ways. 
very high speed, but that's because I'm trying to do a television channel. <laughs> and it's very expensive. It's, I think it's 1300 bucks from uh, SonicNet. Because they're our local ISP. They have the copper. The central office is right there. It's going right in. We did not have the option of, of fiber in the new studio. Just copper. Um, we probably, Comcast has a metro service, which also promises high speed. Um, but you pay. If you want symmetric or a, a lot of upstream, you pay. Uh, and I think that the, the pro, you know, cable can, can be, ver- you know, we're right now uploading video with cable and it can really vary. So I think that we're going to kind of look at a higher quality. And if this is your business, you probably should go to the phone company and say, I want better service. Not, not consumer DSL, but what do you got above that? T1 is also through copper, you know. So there are, there are better solutions. I, my DSL Extreme, for instance, is business. That's a very rock solid 384 up. Sounds like it wouldn't be enough for you, though. Wouldn't be enough for you. So you have to, uh, you have to shop around. And probably a call uh, to the phone company would be the best bet if you want consistent upstream bandwidth. Or, or an indep- or in- independent internet service provider that rides on the phone company. And you'll be paying a little more for a, a premium service. You know one nice thing about having all that bandwidth up? I can back up fast to Carbonite. <laughs> Carbonite.com. You know about Carbonite. I talk about it all the time. It is the best. The best backup service. Why? Because it's automatic. You don't have to think about it, and it's to the cloud, so it's, it's off-site. So if the worst happens at home, you have a fire, a flood, burglars steal everything, you have it on a laptop, you lose the laptop, Carbonite's got it. In fact, you don't have to wait for a disaster. Carbonite is also online storage of all your files. You just log in with your Carbonite account, and there it is. They even have free uh, smartphone apps. This anytime, anywhere access and unlimited backup for PC or Mac, less than $5 a month. Carbonite.com. Now, I want you to try it free right now for 15 days. Go to Carbonite.com. Use my name, Leo. You don't need a credit card or anything. And if you use my name, Leo, for the trial, and then you decide to buy, use my name, Leo, again, and they'll take that 12-month subscription and make it 14. Two extra months free. I think you're going to like it. Carbonite.com. You got to back it up to get it back, so do it right with Carbonite. Don't forget to use my name, Leo, as the offer code. Jessica in Covina. Hello, Jessica. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, good morning. Good morning. Um, so my computer, every time I try to turn it on, it never makes it to the desktop. Instead, a black screen always comes up and a message saying uh, Windows cannot start because the following file is missing or corrupt. And what is the so, file that's missing? Uh, slash Windows slash System 32. Okay. So that's, that's, yeah, it's a, it's, I don't even need to know more than that. It's a, it's one of your system files. Um, so there's a couple of possibilities. Most likely your hard drive is starting to fragment and the, that key file that it needs to boot up is, is on a sector that's bad. And so it can't read it. So it can't go any farther. There are a couple of things you can do. You can try reinstalling windows. If you have your windows install disc and as you get to the, you know, go through the install disc, when you grade up to the point where it's going to install windows, it says, Whoa, you got windows. You want me to repair this? You can try that. That will, if it's just a file that somehow got damaged by accident, or maybe somebody <laughs> threw it out, that'll repair it, and you should boot all right. So if you've got that Windows, this is why you want a Windows install disk. If that's why you want it, uh, then you can repair it. If, however, the drive is failing, you're going to want to bring it to a shop and have them scan it. They might be able to get your data off, and then you get a new drive. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. 
Well, a good day to you, Leo Laporte here, the tech guy. We're talking computers, internet, cell phones, camcorders, MP3 players, home theater. I, I, I run off that list each time, and I should probably look and see if there's anything I can check off. I used to say PDAs. Used to say GPS devices. Just check those off. And now, I guess, I shouldn't probably say camcorders, should I? Did you see this? That uh, Cisco, which paid $490 million just four years ago for the flip company, the flip cam, has decided to close its doors. The story of flip is really amazing. I mean, it was just, a, it was these entrepreneurs in San Francisco who I think it was probably six years ago came up with the idea of, oh, we could make a really cheap camcorder that would fit in your pocket. John Kaplan is his name. And uh, Pure Digital was the name of the company. And uh, people, you know, make it 120 bucks so the kids might buy it, right? And um, it'd have a USB port on it so you wouldn't need, you know, it'd be very simple to get the video into your computer. Um, you know, it's a clever idea. And of course it was huge. In fact, as recently as just a couple of months ago, you saw the great flip ads that they were showing on the Super Bowl and elsewhere where there were actually people's flip videos. What a great idea. And it, in fact, it was such a good idea and it sold so very well that Kodak and many others made uh, clones of it. They said, oh, this is a good business. Cisco bought them in, uh, Two years ago, what, 2009, for, I'm sorry, $590 million, more than half a billion dollars. And last year, they sold $400 million worth of flip cams, so it was a good business, but just apparently not good enough for Cisco. Cisco's decided that, well, first of all, the business is down. Uh, Cisco doesn't break out the flip sales individually, but they said sales of their consumer products, which isn't, I don't, I think that that's probably it, right? It's fifth was down 15% last quarter. They, you know, people aren't buying flip cams. Why? Because their cell phones have very, very good camcorders in them and they have kind of all the features of a flip cam. Plus, first of all, you already have it in your pocket. It does shoot high def video if you have an iPhone or one of the newer Android phones. You've got all this great software on it. I just downloaded a really fun uh, iPhone app that does uh, silent movies. It's called Film Director, and it and it does it in black and white, shaky. You could speed it up a little bit so that it looks like it's a, a silent movie. It even will put a piano theme behind it and title cards. Ninety nine cents for the program, and then you want to add the title cards another ninety two dollars. Uh, and and you already have the iPhone, right? Oh, and you don't have to hook it up via USB. I mean, you can, but you just you know if you want to put the movie on YouTube, just press a button and it uploads it. So, of course, the competition was pretty stiff for the flip cam. They probably were at the end of the line. But I feel bad for the 550 employees who are now out of work. And John Kaplan, the guy who created it, said he's very sad. Kara Swisher from All Things Digital interviewed him at a Starbucks in San Francisco using her flip. She uses. She interviewed me with a flip. She uses a flip, carries it around, gets these great videos. He said the best moment uh, in the business, 
seeing uh, Sasha Obama use a flip cam uh, at her father's inauguration on the stage to, to video the inauguration. He's sad because he says, you know, this company, I'm sure there was somebody who would have bought this company from Cisco. I mean, he made his money. He's, he's not hurting or anything. But he's sad because he created something and Cisco couldn't figure out what to do with it. And now 550 people are out of work. So I, I feel bad, too. I think that's, um, that's a shame. But I think it's also a sign of the time. So cross camcorder off the list. No GPSs, no PDAs, no camcorders. What's next, right? MP3 players, probably. You got a phone, it plays music, what do you need an iPod for? In fact, I think it's probably the case that Apple is not going to do a new iPhone in June this year, as they usually do. By now, we I think we would have heard something, not from Apple, but the rumor mill would be going crazy. It's dead silent. Uh, I think it's very likely that Apple will hold off on the iPhone 5 till the fall, and instead of announcing a bunch of new iPod models, because let's face it, you don't really need an iPod, do you? Uh, they'll announce the iPhone 5 this fall in the same time that frame that they an- announced the uh, the iPods. Maybe they'll you know update the iPods a little bit, but that's not the most important product. So yeah, MP3 players. Pretty soon we'll check that off the list. Home theater, I don't think so. No. In fact, that's one of the things I was really impressed with at the NAB show this week. We covered it live on our uh, Twit network uh, all week. In fact, if you want to see some of our coverage, it's on the twit.tv site. Um, I, I expected to see a lot of 3D, as we saw at CES. Remember uh, our CES coverage? It was all 3D TVs. And you know me, I don't like 3D. I think 3D is a gimmick. I don't want to have to watch wear glasses in my house to watch TV. I don't want to have to buy more $150 glasses for everybody who wants to watch TV with me. It makes me kind of queasy anyway. So I'm not a big fan. I think it's a gimmick. Still a gimmick. Maybe in the theaters, but certainly not in the home. Nevertheless, every company's releasing 3D TVs. But what I, I was really gratified because one of the things I've been saying is I wish they wouldn't invest so much energy in this 3D technology when there's a technology out there that will make TV so vivid you'll think it's 3D without wearing any glasses. It'll be so real you'll think you're watching real life. It's called 4K, and it's, it's essentially four HD screens in one. So it's twice the width and twice the height resolution. And you add to that shooting video or shooting film at 48 frames, double the frame rate, or video at 60 frames, double the frame rate, or 120 frames, double, triple the quadruple the frame rate. And it's so vivid and so real, you don't see any, it's like rock solid. And you know what? You know what? It's the best 3D because your brain makes it 3D. Your brain sees what it's seeing it's as, it, as real life and goes, well, I know there's something behind that because it's real life. A million years of evolution proves it. That's a tiger. I know it. I recognize it. And it's leaping right at me. All you need is realism. So I was very gratified to see at the NAB show that there were every, almost every company was showing, all the big companies were showing 4K displays and 4K cameras. Some cases, 5K, Red was showing a 5K camera, uh, super high-res camera. I mean, it was spectacular. If you saw the video, it was amazing. They had a little movie in the Red booth that they shot. In one week, they, they wrote, shot, edited it, and had it put it out. In one week, 
from conception to, to release that was stunningly gorgeous. Stunningly gorgeous. And unfortunately, no, you know, but I don't think anybody will see it. They could they only they had to show it in this special 4K theater. But boy, you know, you could have fooled me, 3D. <laughs> Who needs glasses? Um and 4K cameras and and Sony's showing big expensive v- film style cameras, you know, for movie companies with 4K and more, 8K. There was an 8K camera. So I think I'm I'm actually heartened. I think what I've been saying all along, and I figured it out. TV companies just want ex- ways to sell you more TVs. So they'll sell you a 3D TV this year. And you watch. A couple of years from now. Oh, 3D, forget it. We got the new thing, 4K. You watch. <laughs> then we could cross 3D TVs off the list. And I'll be celebrating. 8888-ASK-LEO. That's my phone number if you want to talk about that. Or computers, the internet. Pretty soon we won't say computers anymore, will we? Say tablets. We'll talk about, uh, you, you got a touch tablet, we'll talk about that. The internet, I guess that's here to stay. Cell phones, anything with a chip in it. 8888-ASK-LEO, 888-827-5536. We'll go back to the phones and talk with you next. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. How do I say goodbye to what we had? The good time that made us laugh. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. 88, I love that. It's pretty. That's for the flip, by the way. <laughs> you could have played taps. <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> Kyle says, well, what about this then? <laughs> go, go, go. Bye-bye, flip. You know, I bought at least two flips. I bought uh, for my kids. I never used them. Because they had cell phone cameras. In fact, my uh, my uh, business partner's son, Michael, we're having. There's a big parade going on outside. It's Butter and Eggs Day parade in uh, Petaluma. Butter and Eggs Day is the big day they celebrate cows and chickens, I guess. But uh, Michael was out there riding the mechanical bull, and uh, his mom, my business partner Lisa, had her iPhone. That's the Verizon iPhone. Shot video. I'm looking at the video. It's high def. It's gorgeous. Colors are great. Frame rate is great. You don't need a flip. That's better than a flip cam. And you can upload it to Facebook. Do you ever use your flip cam? You do, but not anymore now. Now that you have the iPhone, I bet you won't. Why? You have it in your pocket. Why carry around a flip cam too? So I I mean, I completely understand Cisco's rationale, and I understand why the guy who created it says, oh, they killed my baby. But John, John Kaplan, the the CEO and uh, inventor of the flip cam, let's face it. There wasn't much future there, really. But a man, I mean, only in the technology world could you spend $590 million, more than half a billion for a company, and two years later have it be obsolete. 
It's worth it. I mean, it was worth five hundred ninety million dollars two years ago, and now worth nothing. They made four hundred million dollars last year. Now nothing. What other industry? I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> that's why I love tech. You never get bored. That's for sure. Jeff and Van Nuys, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, Jeff. Yeah, hi, Leo. Uh, I just wanted to say I was I I, uh, I was at the NAB show too. My company, Advantage Video Systems. Was there. And I'll tell you, the show should be renamed the o- OMG show. We had, it is. Uh, your jaw drops. You go, oh. Yeah, we had, there was like 90,000 people there at the show. We had 92,000 uh, people who registered, but it was incredible. And I, I, is that the, Jeff, Jeff, do you know if that's the biggest ever? I think it is. Well, I, you know, I, I see, 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 yes, the, the consumer show. Is, oh, it's much, oh, there are bigger shows. In fact, there was a. There are bigger shows in CES, but I think it's the biggest the uh, NAB show's ever been. Yeah, well, NAB show actually used to be really good. I've been doing the NAB show for 20 years, and it used to be, like, huge, especially when Apple used to be there. It, yeah, Apple used to go, didn't they? And But Apple doesn't go there because their policy is they have 1.2 million people walking in an Apple store every day. So right. they trade show. They do a trade show every day in every Apple store, absolutely. Yeah. And, and they're right. Although Apple, it's interesting because, you know, they're, as I you know I know you know this Jeff but I'll tell the the audience uh that the Apple of course makes the one the number one video editor out there for pros called Final Cut Studio uh many many movies are edited on it it's it's uh, it has Apple said something like 60 or 70% market share and uh the Final Cut users group has a super meet at NAB show every year they had one this year and they had scheduled Kevin Smith a filmmaker and others Apple called them up and said, can you bump those guys? We want the whole event. Yeah. And everybody said, ooh, what's that going to be? And, in fact, Apple did announce the new Final Cut 10, which they'll ship in June for, instead of $1,299, $299. They're unbundling a lot of the other features. But uh, I think Apple's idea was let's make it, uh, you know high-end video editing available to everybody, which is kind of the trend I thought of the NAB show. Secret about the Final Cut studio? Yeah. Uh, according to the Apple Apple, because they're going to put it on app on the App Store, and according to the Apple App Store, any app that you buy on the App Store, you get five downloads. So technically, by the guidelines that you that of uh, the Apple Store, if you pay two ninety nine for Final Cut Studio or Final Cut Pro X, you get five copies. You can have five computers with it on there. You can install it really everywhere, which means an office like mine. By the way, I own five copies of Final Cut Studio at twelve ninety nine a piece because my editors use it. You're absolutely right. Guess what? I'll buy one copy. Right, you have five downloads because the Apple the agreement that you signed when you go on the App Store says you get five downloads. If you buy Aperture, you get to do on five computers. I have a feeling, by the way. That there's there's fine print that prevents us from doing that, but 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 from a, from a practical point of view, in fact, we won't probably do it because it's probably one user per license, et cetera, et cetera, and it's a business, and I'm you know I'm going to do the right thing, but I think there will be a lot of schools, a lot of kids, and I think Apple knows that, and Apple doesn't mind because guess what? They'd love kids growing up to move from iMovie to Final Cut X, Final Cut Ten, and use that so that when they get in the workforce, they demand it. That's very it's a smart move from Apple's point of view. Uh, some of the professionals were worried that because the user interface has changed completely, 
but my friend Alex Lindsay, who's an expert in this kind of thing, and, and uh, Larry Jordan, also an expert in this kind of thing, were both very excited saying, no, no, all the features are there. It is a redesigned user interface, but it's for the future, and it's the right thing to do, and they're very excited. Yeah, Larry Jordan was, had, a gr- had a great show. I mean, he was on the other, you guys were at the front, of the front of the South Hall, and he was on the back of the South Hall. I worked with his company. He has a great organization, the, the LarryJordan.biz thing. It's, it's an incredible thing. If you're into if people are into editing, he's a, he's a great resource. I agree, and I think that's one of the things that's pretty cool about this generation of the NAB show. It's not just for ABC, CBS, and NBC. There are all... All the editors. I mean, I'll tell you, my company helps lots and lots of editors with with editing suites at their homes, and they just do small projects and they work on things and they grow into big, bigger companies. LA is full of people who are really smart storytellers who use things like Final Cut and also Premiere too and Avid are are, are big, huge applications. You know that that a lot of there's a lot of those small editing houses that really that really flourish because of the people like. You know, Final Cut coming down, and Black Magic, and Aja, and all these other companies that have really low cost but really powerful, you know, projects that things that you can do, and then produce stuff and put it on the air. It's it's a revolution, I have to say. Um, and you you hit the nail on the head. You still have to know how to tell a story. That's in some ways the hardest thing, but it means that somebody who is a storyteller, who can tell a story, who can, you know, has this the skills to uh, write, edit, shoot, light, and do all of that stuff now has access to the tools to do it themselves and distribution, frankly, on the Internet uh, so that they don't need a movie studio anymore. We interviewed the CEO of FunnyOrDie.com. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Dick Glover. And I thought that was, you know, it's really exciting. Here's, here's great artists like Will Ferrell and Adam McKay, who works with him, uh, having a chance. He said the, the, because they can, there's, there's really no risk, if it's a flop, they go, well, it's just an Internet video. We'll move on. So they can do stuff. They could do passion project. They could do stuff they love. Unlike Hollywood, they don't have to make you know hundred million, two hundred million dollars to to do it. And it's very exciting for them because they're artists. And I think anybody who's an artist should be very excited by this. Absolutely, I really appreciate you taking my call. And I hear the music, so I know I have to go. <laughs> Jeff, what's your company again? It's Advantage Video Systems. AdvantageVideoSystems dot com. Thanks. Take care, Jeff. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. This portion of the Tech Guy Show is brought to you by my internet service provider, DSL Extreme for high-speed internet at an amazing price. Call 866-2-GET-NET to get DSL Extreme. Kyle's done it again. This is music from, where do you think? Sounds like a silent flick, right? It's from Google.com. Last couple of days, Google's been celebrating the 122nd birthday of Charlie Chaplin. With a uh, Chaplin-esque, not a very good Chaplin-esque, but a Chaplin-esque silent black and white video and this music on its front page. 
And somebody sent me a note, which I thought was kind of interesting, saying, you know, sure, it's all fun and games. It's just a simple little video. Google didn't mean anything by it. However, if you read between the lines, there's a lot more than meets the eye in this video. For instance, at the very beginning, the Charlie Chaplin imitator accidentally irritates the government figure, the cop, the Keystone cop, and gets beaten. He then turns around and kicks the cop in the butt. (laughs) Kicks the government in the butt, right? And then later, this is the thing I thought was most interesting. He wants a he wants a cupcake, a muffin. Doesn't have a dollar for the muffin. So poses as the muffin girl, raises the price to two dollars, and uh, sells it to the government official for two dollars, splits the money with the cupcake girl, and gets his own cupcake. Just as Google, in fact, kind of does the same thing, right? And if you think about the Google book deal. At one point, uh, the little Charlie Chaplin guy steals a painting from the artist and tries to pawn it off as his own and sell it. <laughs> I think that's kind of telling, too. I'm sure Google didn't mean it that way, but do you think they act, they kind of inadvertently, in some sort of Freudian way, revealed their own deeply dark ambitions to kick the government in the butt? steal content from, let's say, book authors and sell it as their own to double the cost of products and then split it with the creator? Hmm? I don't know. By the way, Charlie Chaplin was, of course, as Dr. Mom is pointing out in the chat room, very much anti-U.S. government was run out uh, of the U.S. government by the uh, Red Scare, blacklisted, ended up in was it France for most of his life. So he didn't much like governmental figures either. So in some ways, I guess it's a, it's a true tribute to Charlie Chaplin. Interesting. I don't know. I don't know what to make of that. 8888 Ask Leo. We're, we're talking about tech, aren't we? Google's tech. 888-827-5536. Mark. I'm sorry. Mike is next in El Segundo, California. Hi, Mike. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, Leo. Thank you for your fantastic show. I really appreciate it. Um, there's two problems I want to ask you about. The first one, and the first one I'd also like to alert your listeners to, is a problem of alkaline batteries leaking and destroying very expensive devices. I had a um, GPS that, a color one, a Magellan, I don't know if it was destroyed, but the battery compartment contacts got damaged. For batteries that I thought were good quality, they were these Duracell batteries, the so-called copper top ones, alkaline that I bought at Costco. And they have this expiration date that's like, seven or more years into the future, so you think you ought to be safe because of that. And then after not that long a time, they leaked inside. Well, actually, it might have been six months, maybe a year, I'm not sure. It was some time, but they were sitting there I hadn't used in a while. And I was wondering, um, well, first I'd like to point out that people ought to remove any batteries from any devices if they're not constantly using it. Even then, they probably ought to check for any signs of leakage. I was wondering if you know of any easy or good way to repair the battery contact short of sending it back to the factory or trying to take it apart myself and get replacement ones I could solder in or work with? Well, that's an interesting question. Yeah, the you know, you're absolutely right. Always remove batteries. Alkaline batteries will leak. I have many, many devices that have leaked. It's a, a caustic uh, chemical. It's actually highly alkaline. It's not, you think, you might think it's acid. It's not. It's a highly alkaline um, 
potassium hydroxide electrolyte that leaks out and corrodes the contacts. And um, you can, you can, you know, I think with a wire brush, I've, I've in the past been able to kind of clean it off with a wire brush. If there, if there's any, you know, uh, conductive metal still left underneath the corroded portion, uh, you might still be able to, to uh, get it working. Uh, a little baking soda uh, on that brush with a very, very small amount of uh, water, just enough to make it a paste and a wire brush. Baking soda is basic or alkaline, right? So would it be better to use maybe vinegar or something? Else? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Right. Yeah, you want to um, research it much on the internet? I thought you might know offhand. I know usually these contacts have plating that sometimes it looks like gold plating. Right, and if that's eaten away, if there's no, if there's nothing conductive left, of course you're dead. Well, that's what I'm worried about, and um, I, I have to contact Costco and also the battery manufacturer Duracell and see if they'll, you know, take care of any necessary repairs. So, but it just it's something that really bothered me because when you see the expiration date like seven years in the future, you think, oh, I got plenty of time before these things are going to. Well, leak. in most cases, you do. I mean, this is a defect. In fact, I'm uh, the chat room's telling me. Let me see who I can give them credit. Uh, Jimbo in the chat room says that Dura, Duracell and Energizer both will replace devices damaged by a battery that leaks. It's a defect. Right. That's right, because, I mean, it, if anything, they ought to make the batteries so they're sealed up enough so they don't start leaking, you know, before that expiration date. That's the way I look at it. But, again, right. word to everyone else, just don't... Yeah, I think that most batteries, in fact, do survive. The expiration date is, I think, more that there's no juice left than this is going to leak all over you. Get <laughs> <laughs> by that one. Okay. Yeah. My um, second question has to do with my Internet service. I've been using DSL Extreme for many years. I've had really great service with them. And then in the last, I don't know, it was several months or more, I guess, I started getting just dropouts like every few minutes. In fact, it's caused me to miss deadlines. I, I, I've called DSL Extreme, their customer service. They're nice on the phone, but they're not helpful. And one guy said he ran a test and my filters were bad. I have no filters on that line because right now I'm using that line only for my DSL connection, not even for any phones or anything. And then I even went to Fry's Electronics and I bought a um, shielded telephone cable to connect from the wall jack to my DSL modem to prevent any noise problems. And plus, that should give me, I think, higher bandwidth. And I'm still having... Be careful, because if you put a DSL filter on the line that uses the DSL, you're going to actually kill the DSL. But I don't think that's what's going on. Have you checked your router? Uh, are you using the same router? Um, right now, I, I was using actually no router, and then I hooked in a router because I know it's safer to have a router between your computer and the DSL modem. And, and by the way, the filter was only if you have accessory devices like uh, telephones or answering machines hooked up to the same phone line. Then you put the filter between the phone right. line jack. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Sometimes people mistakenly put the filter on all the lines, and of course, it's, it, it just will keep the DSL from working entirely. That's not what the problem is. You're having occasional dropout. Well, no, it's actually now about every minute or two, it'll come back, the internet connection, for a minute or two or a few minutes, and then it drops out again, so it's just constant. That, when I see that, it's often the, a router um, issue. I, I mean, it's hard for me to tell. There's so many things it could be. It could be uh, everything from a software configuration issue on your computer to a wiring issue, both external or internal, uh, to the bad modem. Uh, you might I was thinking check maybe with DS modem just to test but then if it's not the modem i just spent all that money on another modem well they should yeah boy 
hoping that Diesel Extreme could do a test. Now, I'm wondering if maybe it's the phone company's lines, because we had a recent uh, spell of rains out here. That's what makes it so difficult to diagnose this stuff, because you've got this interlocking companies and technologies, and it's hard to say. The phone company of AT&T now used to be Civic Bell. I'm wondering if um, they could even be trying to drum up business for themselves. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, to be honest, I don't think DSL Extreme would ever say this, but I'll say it on, on their behalf. Phone companies hate these inter- internet service providers that ride on their lines. They also sell internet access, don't they? And they would prefer that you use them. The FCC requires them to allow DSL Extreme to use the lines. So there's all sorts of problems. Look, send me an email, leo at leoville.com. I'll forward it on to DSL Extreme. We'll see if we get you some, some help here. Go, go, catch it! Leo Laporte, the tech guy. <laughs> 8888-ASK-LEO. That's the phone number. This is the original one, isn't it? I love that. So we're talking uh, with our last caller about DSL Extreme and DSL service in general. How difficult... You know, I, I do hear from people uh, all the time with complaints, not just about DSL Extreme, but about DSL in general. And part of the problem is... Uh, DSL is sitting on top of your phone line. And uh, there can be all sorts of problems with the phone line. And I'm, I'm looking at the chat room. People have been saying AT&T has had problems lately with all the rain in some areas, that it's uh, caused intermittent outages, just exactly like our caller described. Now, he's getting his Internet service through DSL Extreme. But remember, the phone line, the copper that they use to give you data, is owned by the phone company in this case. Uh, AT&T. Uh, so, and, and remember, AT&T also sells internet service. The FCC has made the phone companies allow independent internet service providers to offer to sell on top of their copper. Uh, but it's, it's at best a um, uncomfortable relationship since they are, com- they are competitors for your internet service business. So it's just a mess, to be honest with you, and it's uh, it can be very difficult. Uh, on the other hand, um, DSL is usually the least expensive alternative for broadband. Um, it's the most consistent. If you can get it working, it's the most consistent. Um, and most people do get it working. I was just looking at uh, broadband reports, which I highly recommend for reviews of Internet service providers. And 80% of the reviews for DSL Extreme are positive, very positive. Uh and that's about what I'd expect, you know. Uh, the problem is that w- those 20% negative could very well just be uh, related to internet issues coming from the phone company that DSL Extreme can't do anything about. It's very tricky. But I will, I will uh, absolutely, if you send me an email, leo at leoville.com, uh, and, uh, and this is true of any of our advertisers. DSL Extreme, of course, is an advertiser. They've been a long-standing friend of this show since uh, 2004 when I first started doing it in Los Angeles. And uh, I use DSL Extreme. I'm using it right now. And uh, no, somebody said, well, you probably get special service. No, they don't, you know, I don't have a special person that I call. I don't have to actually, I've called uh, for support once in the last four years. And they were very good, but they had no idea who I was. 
Uh, I'm getting a standard business class service from DSL Extreme. It's been rock solid reliable. So your mileage may vary, I guess, but this is true of any internet service provider, isn't it? I, th- I don't think there's anybody that doesn't have uh, people going, oh, there, shake my fist at them. We're, we're riding data on top of networks that weren't designed for data, basically. Uh, and that's really fundamentally the, uh, the problem. So I don't, I don't know what to say, but I certainly, anytime you have a problem with any of our advertisers, just email leo at leoville.com or leo at tech. Actually, you know what? Better than that, leo at techguylabs.com. Uh, that's the show's radio, the radio show's email address, leo at techguylabs.com. And um, I have a, a full-time assistant who goes through that mail just in case I miss it. And she makes sure that the advertisers are immediately notified anytime there's a complaint. And almost always, to my knowledge, always they respond directly and effectively. So if you do have a complaint with one of our advertisers, these things happen. Nobody's perfect. I really judge a company by how quickly they respond to a problem. And we'll be glad to get some help for you. Leo at TechGuyLabs.com. That's our website too, by the way. TechGuyLabs.com. You can find the chat room there, live video stream of the show, uh, downloads of the show, and a lot more. Of course, show notes too. James DeRufo writes everything I say down as if it were pearls of wisdom even if they're not. Michael Culver City, California. Hi, Michael. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Yes, how are you, Leo? I'm very well. Thanks for calling. What can I do for you? I'm honored to talk to you. Uh, I have a, a question, and it's very important for me. I'm an old-timer, an old uh, baby boomer. I'm partially sighted, legally blind, and I make my survival on translating documents from English to Spanish, basically, uh, ecological reports, and I was wondering if you could help me, guiding me through some sort of software that can translate from English to Spanish, kind of accurate, because the ones that I've seen uh, very much look like the manuals printed by the Chinese in my language. <laughs> yeah, I think that's how the Chinese do their manuals, actually. Um, well, that's the good news, Michael. You're not going to be out of a job anytime soon because computer translation is exactly that poor uh, because computers don't understand context. They don't understand the meaning of the message. They, they, they're they pretty mechanical in terms of translation. They're surprisingly good. I mean, Google has, if you go to translate.google.com, as a very good translator. You can paste a paragraph of English in and have it come out Spanish or vice versa. But it isn't perfect, far from it. Exactly as you say, it's mechanical. But that's where you come in. That's why we need you, Michael, because you are a human. <laughs> humans, in, 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 at least in this respect, humans are not obsolete. Absolutely. But my problem is that since I'm partially sighted, um, I only have like 10% of my eyesight. It takes me forever to do the translation because I got to read word by word. Right sure the context matches to the meaning of what's expressed in the document. So I thought I might get a little bit of help if I could get some software that can help me at least with some of that, and then I can correct what's not properly translated. Yeah, in fact, I think that's kind of the ideal solution, is to use Google Translate, which is free, translate.google.com, have it uh, do the you know, initial, the first pass of the translation, if you will. And then you can go through and say, well, that's not, that's not colloquial. That's not colloquial. You know, when my, when my daughter was in France, 
I, I, yeah, she was staying with a family that didn't speak English, and I attempted to use Google Translate to communicate with them. We were able to communicate. I had to explain this is not, you know, this is a machine translation. Uh, actually, I probably didn't have to explain it. It was probably pretty obvious. Um, there is other language translation software, but it's not free. The nice thing about Translate is, is it's free. Uh, Sistran makes uh, commercial software that does this. Um, I'm not sure that it's any better than Google Translate. One of the advantages Google Translate has is they're uh, they're always getting better because they collect samples as they go. Oh, uh, but yeah, but Sistran is S Y S T R A N Soft S O F T dot com, and they sell. Do it again. I'm like I said. I'm partially sighted, so I got to ride it slow. Please. Sure. S Y S Y S T R A N Y F T R A N S O F T dot com. I'll put it. We'll put a link in the show notes at techguylabs.com as well. But um, I, you know they're very expensive. You're going to spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars on that. It's funny because I was just thinking back. I got an email. I wonder if I can find it. I might have erased it. I get email all the time from uh, PR firms promoting software, and I got a um, I got an email from a PR firm saying, "Rapstar fifty cents." <laughs> That's probably not how you say it. It's 50 Cent, right? Rap star 50 Cent speaks eight languages. I said, well, I would never have thought that because he uses our software to translate. <laughs> and apparently it's some sort of, uh, it's some sort of social media translator that uh, lets him tweet in eight languages or, or something like that. I'll see if I can find it. They kept saying this. How do you say it? 50 Cent. 50 Cent. I'm trying to do a search in my mail for 50 Cent. I can't find it. But anyway, he apparently does use some software that makes... Is it 50 Cent? Or is it Snoop Dogg? I can't... I, it's one of them guys. Google says, do you mean 50 cents? Yes. Try that. No. Can't find that either. 50 Cent or somebody like that. Some rap star uses a, uses a translation program. I can't imagine, given the very colloquial nature of 50 Cent's tweets, and I use the word colloquial free, very freely, that a translation software would really capture the flavor of, the, of, of 50 Cent. I don't think, I, I just don't think it's quite going to get that across. If it did, that would be impressive. Remember, computers, you know, they're very literal-minded. You say, yo, yo, yo. How do you translate that? I have to, I have to find this. Uh, I have to find this, um, this PR email because I'm very curious if it's 50 Cent. Hey, this portion of the show brought to you by my backup guys. And I tell you what, I love them. Carbonite.com. We had a, a listener. I don't know if you don't remember about Oh, no. Oh, no. I'll have to tell you when I come back. It's a great story. He called up and had a problem with Carbonite, and they went the extra mile. But I'll tell you the story when we come back. Leo Laporte, the tech guy.
Well, hey, 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 how are you today? Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Can this be our number three of the Tech Guy Show? How does it go so fast? We're talking about all that technology stuff. Computers, the internet, cell phones, camcorders, MP3 player. And uh, anything that you want to talk about, because my phone number is 8888-ASK-LEO, and the lines are open. And I'd love to talk to you about uh, all of that stuff. Uh, let's see here. Let's get back to the phones. With We talked to Michael in Culver City. Uh, let's go to Tustin, California. Boy, it's all KFI listeners today. Hey, Steve. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, Leo. How are you doing? I'm wonderful. Welcome to the show. What can I do for you? Yeah, um, I had a question. I um, I have a really awesome sister who just bought me an iPad, too. Now that is an awesome sister. Yeah, isn't it? And um, what I, I'm a FileMaker uh, database developer, and so what I did is I invested in FileMaker Go. Yeah, they have a uh, iOS version of FileMaker, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it actually works pretty good. And I guess my question is... Um, I have uh, I use Dropbox to transfer the files from like my regular PC or even my Mac right to the iPad, and so I can open it up in FileMaker Go. But um, is there a way to transfer it back from the iPad back to you know if you modify it or anything? Welcome to the iPad. The iPad, despite appearances, isn't really a computer. It's a closed system. In fact, I was kind of interested to hear that you could get Dropbox stuff in there. I guess that, does FileMaker Go support Dropbox? Well, um, yeah, it does, actually. So when, you, when you're in Dropbox you know, on the iPad and you go to, you know, it, it like does this little thing where it downloads it, then you press the, there's a button up at the top, and, you, and then it says FileMaker Pro on it, you just, uh, or FileMaker, FileMaker Go, sorry. And so it's one. Of, so so this is how Apple, in their infinite wisdom, has set this up. First of all, I think they were right to do so. I don't. I don't I'm just being facetious when I mock them for this, because in fact, computers are so complicated, and and there's such security issues that you know normal people find it overwhelming. And I think that the reason the iPad has achieved such instant success, partly it's the touch interface, the appealing nature of the small device is very intimate. But also, I think a good deal of it is because it hides the complexity of a computer, including the thing that you're used to and I'm used to, which is a file system. The ability to open the Finder or open the Explorer and see what's on the hard drive and navigate around and copy files to and from and all that. You, that's not available to you in the iPad. You only can copy files to the degree that the application that you're using allows you to export and import. So, you know, there's no, you, there's no, you can't, you can't open a finder on the iPad and say, oh, here's my file. So Dropbox has a way of exporting. When FileMaker Go is installed, it, it registers itself with the operating system and says, yes, you can export files from another program to me as long as the files are in these formats. Right. And that's how, that's how you can do it on the iPad. The other way you can get files in and out on the iPad is using iTunes. If And I don't know, I haven't used FileMaker Go, but if when you launch iTunes and you go to the Apps tab uh, on your iPad, you'll see your iPad there and you go to the Apps, uh, you'll see below all the installed apps, sometimes people miss it because it's below the fold. It's like you have to scroll up the window. There's a list of apps that can export and import data from the desktop. Okay. 
right. if you see FileMaker Go there, good news. It'll click on it and it'll show you all the files that FileMaker Go owns, and you should be able to get them in and out. So that's an alternative non Dropbox method of getting files in, and it probably allows you to get files out. But now they they could have written FileMaker Go to export into a form that the Dropbox can handle. But chances are it would mung the database. I presume that the FileMaker Go format is a database file. Yeah, it is. It's actually just a um, a regular FileMaker Pro, you know, uh, file, yeah. which is kind. Of- so the problem is that probably Dropbox doesn't understand it. I would guess. So it it can import from Dropbox, but it can't export to. It's whatever they built into FileMaker Go as far as the. Uh, exporting it doesn't do round tripping directly in other words what's you know what's pretty cool about it is is i make runtime you know filemaker where you can uh distribute databases you know to that's awesome geez or Mac. yeah you, you can actually put that in dropbox and it'll actually read the user file um you know it'll read it from dropbox into filemaker go so it looks like it also uses uh, wi-fi yeah so and it and I'm looking here. It does say it supports file. It's called file sharing in iTunes. So you should be able to, you know, make a change to the database in FileMaker Go on your iPad, and then use file sharing in iTunes to get that data out. But it looks like there's also Wi-Fi sharing. So I would look at that and see if there's a way to connect the databases. Like you get home, or wherever your 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 uh, your FileMaker. Um, do you use a FileMaker server, or do you just use it directly uh, on the desktop? Um, right now, see, I'm using FileMaker Advanced um, to create. I actually have a, a database that I sell online for for currency trading, and so what I was looking for is a good way for if I have a customer, I could say, hey, if you have an iPad and you want to spend the extra right. for the you know uh, FileMaker Go, you can transfer, you can put the, the right. of that database inside a Dropbox, and you can look at your you know trades and, and you know review all your trades and so forth with your iPad. You know, if you want to walk around or, you know, you're on the go or whatever. So Yeah, so if they're using, a, they have to have, a presume, an advanced version of FileMaker Pro on the desktop and they can turn on sharing, it should uh, go back and forth to the uh, uh, iPad version of FileMaker Go via Wi-Fi. It lo- I mean, just, I'm looking at the specs. I haven't tried it, but I'm looking at the specs on the website. It does sound like they can do that. Well, actually, see that. What, but what I provide for them is actually using FileMaker Advanced. I create a uh, a runtime. A runtime. Yeah. See, I don't know if the runtime will do that. Yeah, that I can. You know, the, they can actually look at the data file for the runtime in their Dropbox from the iPad because I've experimented with that and it works great. And so, like, I was just thinking. Well, I understand you want a round trip. You want it to go the other way if they make a change on the on the iPad. Exactly. I'm not sure exactly what capabilities. And really, the bottom line is it's whatever. Uh, Apple lets you do. <laughs> now, the good news is Apple and FileMaker are tightly bound. So uh, I'm sure that they have as many capabilities as anybody. Um, Apple, I think, still owns FileMaker. So uh, I'm maybe not, but I'm, sh- but I'm sure that they are doing as much as you can. It's really going to be a question of whether Apple will let you. Yeah, Apple still owns FileMaker. Um, I also use a program from FileMaker called Bento, which is a very simple version of FileMaker. These are database programs. And Bento also is, I actually do use Bento on uh, iPhone and iPad. And it's pretty cool too, but not as sophisticated, obviously, as you. What people develop in FileMaker, they actually, it's basically, it turns it, it's a programming language. So they can make very sophisticated uh, applications, as Steve does, uh, using uh, FileMaker uh, for things like currency trading. It's, a big, it's actually a good business. 
So that looks good. It looks like I'll have to try this. It's $40 for FileMaker Go, and that, the only reason I haven't bought it is I just don't have much occasion to use it. You can also probably email yourself. Uh, let's see. Dr. Mac in our chat room says, as a FileMaker developer, you'll either link from FileMaker Go to the laptop, desktop, or server where the database is hosted. You can also email yourself the file. There's no way to run the runtime-created database on the iPad. Again, a limitation from Apple. But that's because, you know, and I think this stuff might change because I think Apple has kind of changed its understanding of how people are using the iPad. I, initially, I, d I really believe that Apple didn't think it would be used as a computer. They didn't want it to be used as a computer, and certainly they don't want the complexity of a computer, of a desktop computer on the iPad. But it turns out, because the uh, touch interface is so slick, it turns out that a lot of people are, in fact, uh, turning the at NAB show, the broadcaster show, where it's all pro broadcaster stuff. There wasn't a device there that couldn't be controlled by the iPad because it's just a natural. It just makes such a natural control surface. Hey, thanks for the call, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. More calls right after this. Stay right here. I'm trying to think why Kyle played this. Every song he plays, I, you know, it's kind of a game you can play if you listen to this show. Every song Kyle plays during the show has something to do with what we've been talking about. And I can't. This is a stretch, I think so, yeah. Maybe it's my Beach Boy shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Leo... This is an inside joke. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. <laughs> Phone number is 888-827-5536. 888-827-5536. You know where you can find the phone number? Show notes, audio of the show, video of the show, live chat. All of that stuff at our website, techguylabs.com. So you don't really have to remember the phone number. Just remember techguylabs.com dot com and all will become clear michelle irvine california you're next leo laporte the tech guy hi i'm so excited okay um <laughs> i'm excited too yay well i'm not excited about my problem but i'm hoping that you can help um oh. i have a big issue with an external hard drive i have a one terabyte seagate free agent hard drive and I work off of a Mac. And about a month and a half ago, I just noticed that um, I have a partitioned hard drive. And all the data gone, disappeared. And so I've been trying to recover it using um, Mac File Recovery and Seller Pro. And <laughs> so, I love this. Somebody's trying to call you, Michelle, to tell uh, you that you're on the radio right now. Oh, are they? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But I just, I hear the, 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 the you know, the... 
call waiting. And I think sometimes what happens is people oh. hear you on the radio and they start, oh, hey, Michelle, listen, you're on the radio right now. I'm so yes, sorry, she is. So stop calling her. <laughs> I know. I'm busy. Jeez. She's busy right now. So your Seagate external hard drive, what kind of error messages are you getting? I just get read error messages. First, it had a problem mounting, and when it finally, I tried running disk utility, it found it eventually, and then when I ran some of these programs, it just kept timing in with all these different read errors. And Yeah, it's not doing well. The disk is not in good shape. Okay. Uh, and, and it's not unusual. Uh, it can happen to a brand new one just as much. In fact, it tends to happen most with drives that are either three months old or less or three years old or more. Mm-hmm. So there's this, this kind of you know, failure rate at the beginning. And uh, how old is the drive? It's like about maybe a year to six months old. It's really yeah. it was my most surprising one because I have a couple more hard drives that it's, are it, a few it's years not old predictable. and they seem okay. Yeah, yeah. it's not predictable. Ugh. It's not like solid state stuff, which you know, doesn't fail after a certain point. Hard drives are a spinning thing, and sometimes they fail after one month, six months, nine months, eight months, ten months, twelve months. It's unpredictable. So you got a bad one. Yeah. So the trick is to get everything off of there that you can on those days when it will boot, because someday it's just not going to mount. Well, even when they when it boots and it mounts, it shows that there's nothing on it, and I had quite a bit of information on those um, on it. So I, what I'm trying to figure out is how do I recover that data? You know, without spending $1,500 out of one of those recovery okay. places. So you don't need to spend $1,500 because those recovery places are for fixing hardware failures. So, And there are hardware things that can happen to a drive. You know, if you drop it, the head can get bent. The platters can get gouged. The circuit board that's on the drive itself, if you opened up your USB, you know, container, you'd see there's a drive in there, a bare drive with a circuit board. That can go bad. Those hardware failures are difficult and expensive to replace especially the ones inside the drive, because they have to have a clean room and they have to have duplicate parts and somebody in a bunny suit has to take it apart and very carefully remove the platters. And, and that's thousands of dollars. You almost certainly don't have that kind of failure because it's intermittent. That usually means it's having trouble reading parts of the drive. Unfortunately, it sounds like the, one of the critical parts it's trying to read is the catalog of what's on the drive. It thinks it's blank. It uh, doesn't mean it is blank. That data is all still there, first of all. That's the first thing I'd say, Michelle. It's all still there. Uh, it's just that the nor- in the normal operation of the computer, it can't see it because the computer gives up too easily. It doesn't want to spend all day trying to get your data off. So now you're going to do what's, you know, I would call software data recovery, not hardware. Hardware is expensive. Software is cheaper, cheaper, cheap, not cheap, cheaper. Uh, you could do this yourself if you had the right tools. The problem is you have a USB drive. So the first thing you're going to have to do is take it apart because the USB interface of the drive doesn't let you really run any of these tools appropriately. You need to actually have the drive mounted as an internal drive. And the truth is most of these tools are PC tools. So you're probably not going to do this yourself on your Mac. You're probably going to take this to somebody who knows what they're doing. What they'll do is, and you could, I'll give you the Mac portion, and then if you have a desktop Mac, you take the drive out. You you may need a kit. You can mount this drive. Usually not. Usually it's just a SATA drive, so you connect it up to the SATA. If you have a Mac Pro, you can connect it right up. There's plenty of extra SATA ports. 
And then there are a few tools that you can run. My favorite is Tech Tool Pro. Um, there's a, a program from Alsoft called Disk Warrior. Those are kind of the long-term Mac drive recovery tools. They do a little better than Disk Utility. Not much, to be honest. Um, Max Cesar is recommending Drive Genius 3. I've never used that, but I, I've heard of it. That might be another good choice. It's true that it could just be the internal, uh, the, the external enclosure that's gone bad or the USB cable that's gone bad. So if you take it out of that and put it in a, in a computer and you can see everything and read everything, hey, you're golden, get your data off, get a new enclosure, and the drive's fine. Chances are that's not what's wrong, but that's one thing you'll find out immediately. Um, usually it's a good idea to make a clone of the drive before you work on it because unfortunately sometimes these tools make things worse, not better. Uh, the tools that are available for the Mac OS are not as good as the tools available for PC. Uh, in fact, the first program I would use on it is a PC-only program called Spinrite. And uh, it's about $90. It costs more than the drive, but on the, here's the good news. Uh, you could use it again and again, and in many cases, you just run Spinrite on a drive like that. It moves data off of the bad sectors, and uh, the drive is fine. You really don't want to write to the affected hard drive, as PC Guy says. You want to, anything you're doing, if you're going to move stuff, you move it to a different drive. So if any of this is, you know, sounds like a lot of work, it is. You have to have a, an extra, a PC you can get this drive into. You have to take it apart. Uh, you have to have a SATA connection on a PC that you could put it in. Uh, you have to have these tools, all of which cost more than an individual drive would cost. So usually you don't do it yourself unless you fix a lot of drives you're kind of a geeky person, usually you'll bring it to a geek who has all these tools, somebody who's, you know, fixing hard drives. Any any repair shop that repairs computers will have all the tools that you need. Uh, so that's what I would suggest. I would find a, a good repair shop, bring it to them, say, can you get the data off of this? Don't be scared that it's a Mac. They'll be able to fix it in all, in all likelihood. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. To give a little, take a little, and let your poor heart break a little. That's the story of, that's the glory of love. That's the story of love. You gotta laugh a little, cry a little, before the clouds roll. You gotta cry a little. That's, That's the, the story of a hard drive. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. This portion of the tech guy show brought to you by Carbonite.com. You gotta back it up to get it back, so do it right with Carbonite. Try it free for two weeks. Just go to Carbonite.com and use the offer code Leo. Hard drive recovery, always a challenge. If you've not been backing up, it's a bigger challenge. So back up! Then you don't have to worry so much if the drive dies. Because drives do die, and they die unpredictably. That's the problem. You can't... Google did a great study. In fact, it's online somewhere. You could find it. They'd use more hard drives than anybody, of course. We don't... It's funny. You think of Google as some sort of big iron computer in the sky. It's not. It's a bunch of PCs. 
all the servers are just pretty much standard PCs running hard drives, and all the data in Google's giant index is stored on hard drives. Hundreds of thousands of hard drives. So they have been keeping very good records of drives when they fail, when they don't fail. They replace them all the time. That's probably a full-time job in each one of Google's data centers. The hard drive replacement guy. He's probably running around like crazy. It's like one of those iPhone games, you know, Diner Dash or something. That would be a good game. Google hard drive replacement dash. Right? Can you keep Google up? Can you keep the hard drives working? So by keeping careful records of this, they wrote a white paper a couple of years ago that said, well, here's the thing. Hard drives, and I think this is probably more true than ever because the hard drive density is going up and up. You know, now they have three terabyte hard drives. The way they get these hard drives to store more data is by packing more bits in the same amount of space. That means more errors. A modern hard drive errors has errors every thousands of times a day. You don't see them because it has a very sophisticated error correction technology that uh, when there is an error, there's enough redundancy, you can recover that data and fix it. But sometimes things happen that you just can't fix. And Google observed that that usually will happen in the first few months of a hard drive or not for the first two years. But then after two years, 8% of all hard drives die every year, just like clockwork. Boom, 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 boom. Problem is you don't know which 8% you are. So we have all got hard drives that last 10 years, and we've probably all experienced at some point hard drives that die very quickly. And you just don't know which one you've got. <sighs> so that's why you have to back up. And, uh, and it, it, you know, if a hard drive, if, if very frequently, very frequently, the problems people call me with don't seem to be hard drive related, but are. For instance, my computer's really slow to start up. It really seems to slow down as I've used it. Sometimes that's just a bad hard drive. The compute, the operating system tries to read a bit of the drive, the bit it needs. Doesn't get it right away, so it tries again. Doesn't get it, tries again. It'll try, uh, I don't know what the number is, 8, 10, 12 times before it gives up. If it gets it on try 5, it keeps going. And if that happens again and again and again, the computer's working, but very slowly. So what seems to be slow is in fact just a bad drive. But it gets really bad when you try to start it up and nothing's there, or it starts up, and we had a caller earlier in the show where it gets churns along, Windows starts, and then says, ah, I can't continue, I can't find system32.dll or something. That's because there's a bad sector somewhere in that file. So, so sometimes you can recover this data, sometimes you can't. But why take the chance? Back the darn thing up. Now, there are uh, tools, as I mentioned, software repair tools that all work basically the same way. They try to recreate the contents of the drive based on moving, you know, reading more aggressively, reading those sectors that couldn't be read before. Sometimes people will actually take up a hard drive that they've lost data on and put it in the freezer for a while. And then it'll work once the first time. <laughs> Sometimes I've seen people, there's a thing called stiction where the, you know, the head on a hard drive is supposed to float above the platter, but sometimes it gets stuck to the platter and won't move. And I've seen people whap a hard drive with a screwdriver, wham, and it starts working again. <laughs> it's 
So it's a you know it's just a it's a black art. Um, you can often get this data back, but there shouldn't be a crisis. You shouldn't have. Oh my God! What am I going to do? My hard drive's crashing. I don't have a copy of the data. That's why you back up. All right. Actually, you know this would be a good time to mention Carbonite. Actually, as long as as long as I'm talking about this, that wasn't the ad. This is the ad. There are lots of ways to back up, folks. And and I, you know, I'm going to say back up, even if it's just getting an external drive and plugging it in and copying files over to it. The problem with that external drive, of course, is if you have a you know a disaster. There's a fire and everything burns or somebody steals everything. Then you've lost your backups, too. So any good backup, you also have one off-site. It's good to have one right next to the computer because you can get a quick restore, right? But it's also good to have it off-site. And I think the best way to do it off-site is with cloud storage in the Internet. That's what Carbonite does. As soon as you install Carbonite. Now, remember, it's dependent on your high-speed Internet connection. And they're not going to choke your Internet. They're not going to slow your computer down. So they're very uh, polite about using your Internet connection. The, the technical term, believe it or not, is nice. They, they are nice, um, which means that it's going to take a little while for that first backup. That's why they've got two weeks free. Try it free for two weeks. See how it works for you on your Internet and how much depends on how much data you have, how fast your Internet is and how much you use a computer. There's a lot of variables. So try it free right now. No credit card or anything. Just go to C-A-R-B-O-N-I-T-E dot com. Use the offer code Liam. Now, here's the beauty. Once that first initial backup's done, now your data is in the cloud. Of course, it keeps it up to date automatically anytime you're online, but you can get to that data anywhere. It's cloud storage as well as backup. You log on with your Carbonate account on any PC or Mac, there's your data. They have smartphone apps on the iPhone, the BlackBerry, the Android phones. There's your data. I mean, that's pretty sweet. And restoring is as easy as a button push and boom, it all comes back. You can even restore to a different computer if your computer disappears. Carbonite is an amazing story. The the CEO there, David Friend, just a brilliant guy. Um, They're the ninth fastest growing private company in America, according to Inc. Magazine. And they have a great product at a great price, by the way, less than $5 a month for unlimited backup. Do it free for two weeks. If you decide to buy, use my name, Leo, again, you'll get 14 months for the price of two. Two free months if you go to Carbonite.com. It's the way you should have backup, right? Automatic off-site backup. It's the best way to do it, Carbonite. But again, if you do that backup, then you're not going to freak out when the hard drive dies, and it will die. Hey, I got a Leo on the line from Las Vegas, Nevada. Hey, Leo, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hey, Leo. Great to talk to you. Kind of a personal note. Uh, I'm at my computer, and every day I use this black cup that I got at a Comdex a long time ago, and it says Tech TV on one side and Silicone Spin on the other. It's a John C. Dvorak silicon spin mug. I have one, too. Those are rarities. <laughs> Use That's it every awesome. day. My wife's tried to throw it out. I keep um, taking it out of the junk uh, every time she does, <laughs> and it's mine. Hey, I'm a professional poker player, and wow. uh, to complicate things, I'm Canadian. And uh, I am kind of caught up in this... Uh, uh, pulling of the uh, accounts because what they've done is they've um, actually switched off the uh, ability of uh, the U.S. players. Yeah, because the U.S. a couple of years ago passed a law banning gambling online. It took them a while for the other shoe to drop, but now they've closed 
three of the biggest poker sites, Full Tilt Poker. Uh, I can't remember the three, but yeah. Banning um, poker online is just banning banks' contact and sending money to these guys. Right. They, you couldn't use your credit card. Hang on, because I, I, I do want to talk about this, and I'm kind of up in arms about this, and i really like to get your take on it, Leo. But first, a break. We'll be back in a minute. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Good advice from Kenny Rogers. You got to know when to hold him, know when to fold him, know when to run away. Leo's on the line from Las Vegas, Nevada. He's a professional gambler. You play poker, Leo? Uh, yes, that's just the only game that you can actually beat anymore. Yeah, that's right. I mean, no, I doubt there are very many Baccarat, professional Baccarat players. There are players that play that game, but they get to play that at a very high level for free. Time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the, just to give you the background, the FBI uh, shut down uh, three, uh, uh, in the U.S., shut down three big poker sites, Full Tilt Poker, Poker Stars, and Absolute Poker. If you've ever watched the World Series of Poker on TV, you see those hats. Those are the big ones. If you go to the site, you'll get a FBI Department of Justice notice saying that these sites were shut down because owning all or part of an illegal gambling business is a federal crime. And they also have accused them of fraud. Uh, and that's a bigger concern. I mean, I imagine, I don't know, Leo, but I, I would imagine um, that there's no way really when you're playing online poker to know that the house isn't cheating you, right? Yeah, but it's not fraud in that sense. What it is is they're trying to say that by inducing the banks to uh, let poker players play online, that's fraud. Money laundering yeah, that's, fraud. That's where right. it comes in. Um, my, now, I, my, I, at the beginning of the show, I said my big issue with this is that, of course, poker is legal yep. in the sense that you can go to a card club in almost any community in this country and legally play poker. Uh, you can go to Vegas and Atlantic City and gamble, and of course that's legal. And I imagine that part of the reason this law was passed is because Vegas and Atlantic City spent a lot of money and time lobbying Congress, well, as as do Indian casinos. And I'm sure they hate it that people can gamble online instead of going to their uh, businesses. Oh, just the reverse. Um, this will hurt poker rooms because we have less people playing online and less customers being generated so to speak <clears throat> yeah i'm sure the poker rooms that uh, that makes sense because of course uh if you look at the world series of poker there have been many players in the last couple of years that started online sure. yes it, it definitely teaches people to play uh you need to play a lot of hands before you're any good and there's no faster way to do that than online 100 percent, that's correct and so it and in fact just before this and these um deals have now been abrogated but um, Steve Wynn had aligned with Poker Stars last week. Oh, that's interesting. And Station Casinos had aligned with Full Tilt. So, in fact, the, it's not the well. Then who is who is behind this law? Is it a moral, a moralistic law? Is it a? 
uh, well, is it a blue law? I can tell you the history of the legislation. Um, Harry Reid of Nevada was pushing a, a bill, and where he did run into resistance was from the Republicans. Now, I'm actually... Uh, but here's the irony. I mean, that's why I assumed it was the casinos. Harry Reid of Nevada. Yeah, but he pushes. he's pushing for the online poker to be legal on a national basis. Oh, he's supporting it. Okay. He is supporting it. And so... Well, that's interesting. I'm very confused now. I assumed it was it was the uh, poker establishments that didn't like this idea. No, it, it's it's somewhere in the in the uh, moral majority, I guess. Okay. Back. It's it's a it's a it's a morality issue. It's a blue law. It's a it's about gambling. And of course, there are, and and we can't deny this. There are a great many people who have gambling problems. Uh, yeah, and uh, making it so easy to gamble in your home certainly uh, exacerbates that. But there are people who have problems with alcohol far more than 10%. Yeah. Uh, and we still sell liquor. Uh, and there's plenty of free buses to a casino from almost anywhere in the world. So I don't know if this has any real long-term effect on that. As a Canadian, I look at this free country and I go, what? <laughs> it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, I, that's another issue. I think we're probably the only country in the world that does this. But now, is there... Yes, so- there is a specific issue is... I called uh, yesterday to support our actually email. You can't actually talk to these people. And I said, um, look it, I'm a Canadian. I'm, I live in the United States. I live in Las Vegas 11 months of the year because my wife and family are here. And um, I would like to continue playing. I realize there's a ban on uh, U.S. accounts, but I don't have a U.S. account. And the response I got was that they could see that my ISP that I was playing through was based in the United States. Right. So they were going to block it, regardless of what my nationality was. Right. Here's my question to you. Is there a way I can do a proxy server from Las Vegas to uh, Toronto, say where I... Absolutely. And then to the... um, And how would I do that? Uh, if, you, if you Google, you already have the term you need, proxy, P-R-O-X-Y servers. There are many, many companies that offer this either free or paid. You could choose the country you'd like to be in. Uh-huh. For instance, there are people who want to use the BBC's iPlayer, which is available only to British citizens. So they use a proxy based in London. Okay. They look like they're English. They can watch the iPlayer. There are people in London who want to use Netflix. Same company has servers in the U.S. They use those. So absolutely, there's no problem doing this. Of course, a proxy server does add overhead, so it slows you down a little bit. But you're not watching video so much. You're playing poker. I don't think you're going to have a problem there. When when you start playing many tables, I can play uh, 20 uh, you might, one time. You might find that you can't play as many tables. Uh, uh, you could also use a VPN, uh, and there are a number of VPNs that will uh, work. Uh, basically, if you're willing to pay for it, and since this is your business, I think you are, Right. You'll be able to get it uh, uh, quickly, uh, a, a service that will work quickly. It's the free ones that are slow. Yeah, when you say VPN, that's a virtual personal network? Private network, yeah. And it, it works the same way. It basically gives you a tunnel to a, to a computer somewhere else. Yeah. So you could use, for instance, go to my PC, put it on your computer in Canada, tunnel to it, and then play poker in from that computer. And uh, it's that computer that's playing the game. I see. I see. Okay, but if I don't have a computer... You're still, by the way, you're still violating the law. Why? 
because you're in the U.S. The, the only thing you've done is circumvent, technologically circumvent their ability to see that you're in the U.S., but it is, I believe, I'm not a lawyer, and you should consult a lawyer on this, but I believe you're still violating the law. Because if you're sitting in the U.S., mm-hmm. you're sub, regardless of your citizenship, regardless of where your remote computer is, your citizen, you're in the, you're, you're subject to U.S. law. No, but there's no um, law that says it's illegal for a player to play. They, yeah, I don't, I don't think they've prosecuted any players. So you because I, I, because there's no law, right? They, they so years ago with the um, Wire Act of 1960, and court okay. said they can't do that. Good news. So it is legal. It. Yeah, but it- I mean, I'm not look at I'm not a lawyer. I, I don't ask me what's legal or not. I'm not judge nor jury. But I but I could tell you the technological solution is exactly what you suggested. If you Google it, you'll see a number of companies easy to do. And Leo, I'm glad you called because I wanted to get somebody's perspective. Uh, and I, I guess I was wrong. It's not the uh, that's interesting. It's not the casinos. It's not the poker clubs, the card clubs. It's just a blue law. I thought we were past that. Yes, not. Tell you one thing, I will net. We will never be past, my friends. It's the need for security on your computer, boy. Especially if you're doing this kind of thing, you need Nod Thirty Two. If you're using Windows, it's a crazy world we live in. I'll tell you, viruses, Trojan horses, adware, phishing scams—they're all out there to get you. And if you've got Nod Thirty Two, you've got the best protection money can buy. Esets Nod Thirty Two. That's why CNET gave it five out of five stars. Call it their editor's choice. It's why I tell you, if you use Windows, you need Nod32, and you don't have to take my word for it. You could try it free right now. Just go to ESET.com slash Leo or call 866-935-ESET. 30 days free. And uh, by the way, they have a great new Facebook page I want to tell you about, ESETUSA. It's Facebook.com slash ESETUSA. Go like them because they've got uh, contests, special offers, and, and uh, exclusive stuff for their Facebook fans. ESET.com slash Leo to get it free or call 866-935-ESET and like ESET USA on Facebook. If you use Windows, you need Nod32 from ESET. And if you like gadgets, you need Dickie Bartolo, the Gizwiz. Hello, Dickie Leo, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Oh, let me just uh, finish paying off this guy here. I just had a good hand. <laughs> Have you ever played uh, poker online? Well, no, I, I don't even play poker in Vegas. Yeah, I did. I, I was just saying I just came back from bucks. Vegas and I didn't spend I didn't gamble at all because I just feel like at least for me, it's a sucker bet. I'm yeah. going to lose my money. Yeah. Well, yeah, you just look around and you figure hmm, this entire casino was made out of solid marble. I wonder <laughs> who put up that? that money. Hey, we're out of time today, Dick. Can you come on tomorrow? We'll do another gadget. Gizwiz.biz is his website. I'm Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Have a great geek week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.